Greetings, welcome back to another ongoing series of Shreem and Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak at Shalom. Uh, and uh, we are now beginning our study of the fifth chapter of Brachot. We are in uh, the Daf Lamad Amud Bet. And the first Mishnah, Enom Divnit Palel Elamitoch Kovid Rosh. As I mentioned in the introduction, this chapter, along with the previous chapter, focus on Tefillah. Uh, and as such, uh, we will uh, continue our discussion, uh, discussion of the laws of tefillah. As you'll see that this first sugya deals more with the issue of focus and intent in tefillah. Uh, when we stand up to say tefillah, it must be from a situation of seriousness and solemnity. We'll see an expansion on this in the Gemara. Chasidim harishonim ayusho in shachat palim and the two versions here, that the early pious ones used to wait for an hour. Now, whether an hour here means a 60-minute hour, or whether it means uh, a long time, but they used to wait for a measured amount of time before saying tefillah in order to focus their intent towards God. Now, the next couple of lines we'll, we'll not uh, be able to address in the Gemara, but we'll see the rest of the Mishnah. Even if a king inquires as to his welfare in the middle of Tefillah, he should not respond. Even if a snake is wrapped around his heel, um, he uh, he still should not interrupt. Uh, and the Gemara will, of course, put some reasonable exceptions to that, uh, to that ruling. Okay, Menahan Emili, how do we know that you have to f- have focus and come to Tefillah with solemnity? Amar Belazer, Damar Krav, Vahi Marat Nafesh. In describing Chana, praying before God, praying for a son, it says she was very bitter. It is the opposite of silly. Maybe it's not describing the norm, it's telling something about Chana, she's different because she was very upset because she was childless. So I will come to your house and I will prostrate uh, towards your temple with your fear. Maybe that's David talking about himself because he was excessive, meaning excessively pious and, uh, and, and penitential. Now, the point being that when we hear a description of an individual, it could be that individual behaved that way, doesn't establish a norm. In that same parak that uh, was highlighted in the previous uh, chapter, the same is more of Tehillim, Chavtet, uh, prostrate yourselves to Hashem behadrat kodesh, in the glory of sanctity. Altikre behadrat ela becherdat. Don't read it as hadrat ela cherdat, with trembling in sanctity. And, uh, and the idea is that this is now a norm because we're commanded hishtachavu. So, maybe we should read it as hadrat. In other words, it indicates that when we have the formula alti kray, don't read it this way, rather read it that way, it means that the regular way of reading it is hard to fathom. It says, no, it's not hard to fathom. Hadrat Kodesh means to sort of cl- to, to come with a totally clean Kedusha, and the idea is to go to the bathroom first so that you can focus. In the second psalm, worship Hashem with fear and tremble uh, and rejoice in trembling. 
So the idea is that when you're worshipping God, there should be fear involved. Now, my Vigilu Rada, what does that mean? In the place where there is the rejoicing, there should be fear. In other words, we, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be, re, to rejoice to the point of unbounded rejoicing. There should be fear. And we have a couple examples of this. Abai Aviyativ Kamid to Rabba. Abai was sitting before his Rebbe and his uncle and his ward. Rabba, he saw that he was laughing. You're supposed to have some, uh, fear. I have to fill on. That demonstrates that I'm, uh, subjugated to Hashem. Now we're back, we're in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Yirmiya was sitting before Rabbi Zeira. Same thing. He, uh, quotes a Pasuk in Mishnah that says there's always an advantage to sadness. Again, I have to fill it on so I'm not losing myself in hilarity. Very famous story that leads to a very famous custom, perhaps. So he, this uh, Ravina's son, made a wedding for his own son. He saw that the rabbis, the students, were having an excessively good time. He brought a, an expensive uh, glass. Let's see how much it was. He broke it in front of them. And that quieted them down. They became upset. Uh, this Tosfot here point says this is the source for the custom we have breaking a glass at a wedding so breaking a glass at a wedding according to that is not about remembering your Shalayim but just about tempering the celebration uh, there are different opinions about what the source of that is that's Tosfot's take Ravashi Ravashi made a wedding for his son he saw that the students were having too good of a time brought a white glass uh, glass, the top of the broken in front of them, same thing. And now we go back to the wedding of Marbre de Ravina, which may be the same wedding that we read about a minute ago, and the student said to the, this is not the famous Rafam Nuna, student of Rav, but a much later Rafam Nuna, Lishvilanmar, sing for us. So, woe to us who study. So what should we answer to you? He's kind of changing the mood of the wedding. Where's the Torah in the mitzvah that's going to protect us? In other words, he's trying to remind them that they are students. It's forbidden for a person to have his mouth totally filled with laughter in this world. Important to understand that the phrase this world doesn't have a consistent meaning in Chazal. It means a world different than something later. And the something later could be after death. It could be resurrection. It could be Mashiach. It could be political politics change. It could be when Mikdash is built. In this case, it's when politics changes. You could see geopolitics. Then we'll be happy. When is that? When the nations say, God has acted greatly with these people. That is a different world than the world that they occupied. Who was the uh, brother-in-law and student of Rabbi Yochan, later colleague, said he never had his his mouth filled with laughter in this world. Once he heard this teaching from Rabbi Yochanan. Okay, so now we have an expansion on our Mishnah. You don't get up to daven from a case of din. We're actually judging. Let me talk dvar halacha, or studying halacha. Let me talk dvar halacha psuka. Dvar halacha means a discussion of halacha. Halacha psuka means just a set apodictic law with no reason and no argument. And the reason 
of Din and Tvar is that you're going to then be continuing to think about it when you're davening, and, it'll, and it will uh, defocus you. Hechidami halachah psukah. So what's an example of halachah psukah? So Rabbi Rabbi Zeira. We saw this at the end of Nida. De'am Rabbi Zeira. But that even if they only saw one drop of dam, they consider themselves to be a zavak dola, and had seven clean days. And the reason that's halachapsukai is there's nothing to discuss. You can't say was it you may nida, was it you may ziva? Did they think that they saw? It? Because they accepted this minha, this uh, this chumra on themselves, so there's uh, nothing really to to research. Rava Markita had Rav Shai. He gave a different example. Rav Shaiya, Ma'arim Adam al Tvuratov Merchesav Motzshela. That if you want to bring grain into your house to feed it to your animal without it being Chayav and Masrot, what a person can do is to play a trick and bring it in with the chaff and then thresh it in the house. So the animal could eat without having to take Maser. It's simply advice, a trick. If you buy a tamer kidiyada of Huna, of Huna, Merabi Zera. If you let blood of an animal that's hektesh, that blood is also bahana. There's even meila because the blood is considered to be part of the animal. So the students followed our Mishnah. Our Mishnah was Kovid Rosh, which means meditation. Rav Ashi, Avid Kibraita, so Rav Ashi used to practice, Rav Ashi, meaning the Rabbana, the students of Rav Ashi, Rav Ashi himself used to practice the Braita, which means he would study Halachap Sukkah, and then say Tefillah. Tan Rabbanan, again an expansion on our Mishnah, you shouldn't start Tefillah from sadness, or depression, or from sloth, or silliness, or schmoozing, we'll talk colored rosh, lightheadedness, we'll talk dvarim betelim, we're talking nonsense, and we'll talk simcha shal mitzvah. From doing a simcha shal mitzvah, and that is of course our custom, where we engage in psukeh de zimra beforehand. V'chein lo yipater adam mechavero, same thing, when you part from someone, you should not part, we'll talk simcha, we'll talk schok, we'll talk colored rosh, we'll talk dvarim betelim, and we'll talk dvar halacha. The last thing you should say to him is a word of halacha, and it sounds like a practical halacha, you see why. Now this is a little bit difficult because the model here or the proof is from the Nevi'im who will always finish with nice words. And that's why the end of most prophetic books is upbeat, like a look at the end of Yoel and the end of uh, Amos. And, uh, and then we have a couple of exceptions where we have books that end on a down note like Eicha and Kohelet and notably Yishayahu. So our custom is to reread the penultimate pasuk to end up on an upbeat. Now, of course, this isn't what our what we do because said you part from somebody with varhalacha. The idea, though, is that you should think about the last words you're going to say because they're going to have an impact. So when it comes to neviim, when there may be a lot of musar and a lot of depression and a lot of foretelling of bad times coming, you want to end up on a, on a good note. When it's your friend, you want him to remember you, and the way he'll remember you is you tell him a varhalacha. And then, you know, on a way, uh, he'll remember that what you taught him about Tzvidat Aderech, and when he practices, he'll remember you fondly. Or you'll tell him something about Berchot um, uh, and when he comes, he'll take a berry, and he'll remember you taught him it was Bari Prayaitz. Good, depending on the berry. That's how you remember. And let's see an example. So Rav Kahana 
escorted this other rabbi from Pumnahara, where, which was Rav Kahana's town, all the way to Beit Sanita, which was evidently uh, a bridge town over one of the rivers. When he got there, uh, I know that what people say that this town has been there since Adam Rishon. He said, Oh, you reminded me of something I heard from the Chacham Eretz Yisraeli, Rabbi Yosef Chanina. You're going to end up going to a land that nobody ever passed through and no man ever settled. The second part is obvious from the first part. If nobody ever passed through there, certainly nobody settled there. Malacha teaches called Eretz because all Adam Rishon the Yishuv Adam here becomes Adam Rishon. Anywhere that Adam Rishon said this will be settled, Nid Yashva was settled. And if he decreed this should remain wild, it remained wild. And Mordechai Alvin of Shim Barashi, now the same of Shim Barashi, uh, who was escorted to Tzanita de Bavel, also got escorted once, Mihagronia viad bekefi vamila ad bedura. Okay. Now Tanabanan, Hamid Palel Tsarich Shiachavin Libo la Shamaim. A person should focus his heart towards heaven. A person, I'm Shalomer, Siman Ladavar, what's the way to remember this? Tachin Libam, Takshivos Necha. Prepare their hearts, and you will listen. Tan Rabbi Yehuda, Kachem Yinagosh Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva's custom was as follows. Shami Palal Matzibor, when he would daven with the public, I'm a Katser Rolei, he would say Tfilah very quickly. Meitorach Hatzibor, because he knew that they would wait for him, he didn't want to keep them waiting. Shaim Palavinov and Atzmob, when he was davening on his own, you'd start him in one corner, you'd come back, you'd find him still davening, he was on another corner. Why? He would bow, he would prostrate himself in the middle, all of these different customs, maybe somehow connected with the Chalot literature and mystical behavior, and it'd end up in a different part of the room. You should pray in a house that has windows. The description of Daniel Davening, one of the few descriptions we have in Tanakh, of somebody with an orderly tefillah, perhaps the only one, it says the windows were faced, facing there. I might think that you should just pray all day. So Daniel himself said, three times a day. Maybe this only started after the exile. He did for many years, or did for a long time, which means that Daniel did it before he was exiled. I think you should pray in any direction. We already dealt with this in the fourth parak. But we're de- dealing here with Daniel's description. Talmud Lomar, Neged Yerushalayim, facing Yerushalayim. So if you have three tefillot, so maybe you could say all three of them one time. Evening, morning, and afternoon. I might think that your voice could be heard in tefillah. I mean, you could say tefillah out loud. That takes us to chana. We'll see more about this in a couple minutes. Her voice was not heard. I'll tell the story when, when we get to the sugya in a minute. I might think first you should ask and then praise in his dedicatory tefillah at the uh, beginning of the Beit HaMikdash at the inauguration Shlomo says to hear the Rina and tefillah what's Rina? that's tefillah that's, that's praise tefillah is but the word tefillah means bakasha. the word tefillah here is being used uh, equivocally 
Meaning, after you say emet v'yatsiv, you don't have any requests, you go straight to tefillah. But if you finish your tefillah, you could say as much request and as long of a penitentiary, petitionary request that you might have, even as long as the Seder of Vidur Yom Kippur. Even though we said that in the Bracha of Shemayat Filah you can add in your own requests, in Balomar Chart Filah, if you want to say it afterwards, I feel like Zedah Shemayat Filah, you could say as long as you want, which implies that in Shemayat Filah it should be brief. Okay, back to Chana. We can learn many important halachot from the story of Chana. Chana, as you recall, was a second wife to Elkanah, the one without children. Very, very sad and upset. Her co-wife would upset her whenever they went to Shiloh for their yearly celebration. And one year, she went and approached the Mikdash to Davin, and Eli, the Kohen Gadol, had evidently not seen this sort of behavior, and he thought she was drunk, and we'll see from here. So the first thing is, Chanaim and Eberet al-Liba. It's worth looking at the Psukims to see which part is Pasuk, which part is Midrash. Chana is speaking on her heart. What does that mean? That proves that when somebody davens, they should say it from their heart. Only her lips are moving. So you see that when you say tefillah, your lips have to move. Her voice was not heard. You see, you're not allowed to raise your voice in tefillah. Eli thought her to be drunk. That tells you that Shikor is not a lot of daven because he stopped her. And he said to her, How long are you going to come? How did you come here drunk? Um, that uh, when a person sees that another person is doing something that's wrong, that he uh, must uh, rebuke him. So this is not about tefillah. And she said back to him, No, my master, meaning I'm a bitter woman. There's more to the words. You're not a master in this. You don't have the Ruach HaKodesh with you. Why? You suspect me about something that's not true. So you must not be clued in. You don't have the Ruach HaKodesh with you. Why? You did not give me the benefit of the doubt. Don't you know I'm a bitter woman? And I don't drink wine or strong drink. So you see that when you're suspected of something which is not true, you have to respond and defend your reputation. You can't just say, I don't care what he thinks. What does she say to Eli? Don't treat me like a bat bliyal, literally a low-life woman. This teaches you that if you pray while drunk, it's like doing a varazara. Why? In the story of the Anshay Anidachat, they're called Anashim B'nei V'liyal. So you say, B'liyal is a reference to a varazara. So what does Eli say? Go in peace. When you suspect somebody of something that's not true, you have to make up with them. You have to appease them. You have to bless them. Eli says, God should grant you your wish. Parenthetically, the word Shelatech is written there without an Aleph, which may be an allusion to the idea that she's asking for a Shilya, a child.
Okay, now this is not her tefillah. This is besides her tefillah, she also took a vow. The words of her tefillah are not accessible to us, but she took a vow. And what did she say? She was the first person to call Hashem Tzvaot. It's the first time that that name for God shows up, Lord of Hosts. And this is kind of evocative of the Gemara we had in the first parak of uh, Leah was the first one to say Odeh, and Avram was the first one to call him Adon. So Tzvaot. What, why does she call him Tzvaot? Because Tzvaot means the host of heavens, the stars. You've created all of these heavens and all these stars. You can't give me one child. You created so much, you can't give me one son. What's it like? A king made a big feast for his uh, for his courtiers. One poor guy came at the door. Give me one piece of bread. They didn't pay attention. He pushed his way into the king. This whole big feast, and you can't give me one piece? Alright, what else does Chana say? It's very clever. If you see me and bless me, fine. And if not, you're going to see. Now becomes not that particular rhetoric style, but a, a threat, as it were. You're going to see, meaning, I'm going to go and make up as if I'm having an affair with somebody. Elkanah, we're assuming now, is going to warn me about that guy. I'll then make sure witnesses see me in seclusion with the guy. Of course, we'll not do anything. Then I'll have to go through the Sota ceremony. And you can't make your Torah into a lie. If the woman is innocent, it says she will have children. So um, if either you give me kids the right way, or I'm going to manu- manipulate things, she'll have to give me kids. What does Niktav and Israel Zera mean? One opinion is that if she didn't have kids, she'll have kids. But there's another version that just means that childbirth will be easier. She'll have less pain, she'll have boys, she'll have fairer boys, she'll have taller boys. So Michael and Maymar. So that doesn't help Hannah. So Bishwal had our first opinion. So Akiva, jumping on our story, says, so then every barren woman will go and, and, and instigate a, a Sota uh, test. And this one that didn't do anything wrong will have a kid? Right, so Bikiva says that uh, childbirth will be easier and more beneficial and she'll have twins. So So then how do you understand The answer is The problem with that, of course, is that Rabbi Akiva is the one who does not accept the Ratara Adam, Rabbi Shmuel is. But in any case, we're understanding Rautere is the is the particular and somewhat unique rhetoric, rhetorical style used uh, throughout Tanakh when making a vow. In, uh, if you look at Yaakov's vow, look at Bnei Yisrael's vow in Parshat Chukat, um, look at uh, Yiftach's vow in uh, Shoftim Yeralef, you'll see that that's the kind of the kind of language used. Okay. 
she uses the word ama, maidservant, when talking to God three times. So, you created three things that check a woman for death, meaning that if a woman doesn't pass the test, she'll die in childbirth. Or three things that cling to her for death. Right? So she has to keep Torah Mishpacha, she has to separate Chala, and prepare Shabbat Halakataner. Did I violate any of them? So in this case, she's like God's maidservant. What does she say? Give me a seed of man. What is my Zeranashim? What does that mean? Rav Gavra Beguvrin, man among men, Superman. Shmuel says, no, it doesn't mean that. It means a child who will anoint men. David is going to anoint Shaul and then David. That's Shmuel. A child who will be weighted and equal in weight to two men. Which two men? Moshe Miyaron, Shinemar, Moshe Ron Rechanav, Shmuel Makar Shmuel, Yosef, the Pesachin Yumiyahu, that puts them, Shmuel, opposite Moshe Naron. Rabbanan Zeran Hashim means Zeran Hashim Vlabin Hashim, meaning a regular guy. Avdimi Amar Lo Aroch, Velo Gotz, Velo Katan, Velo Ilaim, Velo Tzachor, Velo Gichor, Velo Chacham, Velo Tipesh, meaning an average guy. That's what she asked for. She hardly got that. Okay, Ani Aisha Nitzavet Im Cham Bazer. We're going to finish the Sugya of Chana here. So she said to uh, Eli, when she came back a uh, year plus later, or a few years later actually, with the son uh, that was born, she said, I'm the woman who was standing here dominating that you thought was drunk. Remember that? We go back to the Chotfila. She said, I'm the woman who was standing here with you. Proves you're not allowed to sit down if you're within four months of somebody saying Tfila, because Eli was also standing. She says, I was praying for this boy. Uh, what does that mean? So we have now this background that Shmuel, as a little boy, was made a, a issued a psak halachar, made a ruling in the presence of Eli. You have a very bizarre pasuk. They shechted the par that Chana brought, the three parim, as a korban when she brought Shmuel. And they immediately brought the boy to Eli. Why how do those two things connect? So Ella, Amad and Eli. Eli turned around and said, Kiru Kohen, go find me a Kohen. Leitim Elishchot, Teshech the animal. Chazanu Shmuel, Dahavu, Mahadri, Ebata, Kohen, Lemishchat. Shmuel saw they were running around to find a Kohen to do Shkita. Why do you need a Kohen? Shkita, Bazar, Ksherah. You don't need a Kohen for Shkita. I took a come at Eli. So that's what happened. They shechted the par and brought the boy to Eli. Amar Leiban Alacha. So Eli said to the little boy, how do you know that you don't need a coin for Shechita? Amar le mikti v'shechata coin. doesn't say the coin shall shech the korban. V'ikrivu akonim ktiv. Only after the Shechita, it says the kohanim will be makriv. Meaning, mikabalah v'elech mitzvah kuna. The mitzvah that, uh, that, that you need a coin for only starts after kabalat adam. Kan l'shechita shekshira bazar. So Amar le meima shaper ka'amart. So Eli said, you were correct in what you said. But you are instructing in the presence of your Rabbi. So he was going to kill Shmuel. So Chana came and said, This is the boy I prayed for. Let me punish him. And I'll pray you'll get a better son. She said, That's why she said, I prayed for this boy. That's the background of that phrase. 
Now back to Vachanaim and Abrat Aliba, the beginning of our drush. What does it mean she was praying from her heart? She was praying about her heart. Everything you created in a woman was for purpose. A nine lirot, eyes to see, those nine lishmoi ears to hear, chotam lariach, nose to smell, peladaber, mouth to speak, yadayim asot pamalacha, hands to work, waglaim alechpan, legs to walk. Dadim lanik plahen. You gave a woman breasts so she could nurse. Dadim alavish natata alibinama. So why did you give me these breasts on my heart? That's the heart connection. Lolanik plahen. Not to nurse. Taili ben vanik plahen. Give me a child, let me, let me nurse him. So this is only there because Rabbi Lazar is quoting Rabbi Yosef and Zimra, we just had in the relevant passage, it's a relatively rare tradent sequence, so therefore they bring it again, they bring another say, statement. Anybody who has a personal tanit that he observes, and he observes it on Shabbat when everybody else is eating, even if he has a gzardin, lived a terrible life, they tear it up, because it's so hard to fast while everybody else is eating. But there's one punishment he now has to uh, take into account, which is that he didn't celebrate Shabbat properly. So how does he fix it? So on Monday, or a few days later, we should fast again to make up for the Chilul Shabbat. Okay, we're not totally finished with Hanan, but we will pause at this point and pick it up in the next podcast. We should have a wonderful day.